Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Discover what's possible when people impacted by autism inspire change and build community. Together with the Global Autism Project, here's your host, Rachel Harmon. Hello, everyone. I want to take a moment to thank you for your continued support these past few months as we've launched this podcast. I'd like to share a review left by Kay Scarlatta. It reads, quote, The deep human connection you will feel to the many layers of the autistic community when listening to this podcast is astounding. The work of Molly Ola Pinney and the Global Autism Project has always been inspiring but this podcast truly breaks down all of the reasons why. It is a must-listen if you're looking to invest in your soul. End quote. Thank you so much for the kind words, Kay Scarlatta. They really mean a lot to us, and we're so glad you're finding inspiration in listening to the show. Our team reads all of the reviews we receive, and we genuinely appreciate your feedback. If you haven't already, please take a few minutes after this episode to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I also want to remind you that we are still taking donations for our COVID-19 Partner Relief Fund. All proceeds will go directly to helping ensure our partner schools remain open by paying for materials, leases, and services. You can make a donation at globalautismproject.org. For more information, please listen to episode 10 with our CEO, Molly. Today's guest is Rachel Barcelona. Rachel is an autistic self-advocate, model, author, singer, actress, and pageant winner. She is also a SkillCore alumni, having traveled with the Global Autism Project on a volunteer trip to the Czech Republic in 2018. Since getting diagnosed at three years old, Rachel tried to fit in with neurotypical society. However, she always felt that she was different. Encounters with bullies throughout her life and many years of suffering from depression motivated her to create an online platform called The Ability Beyond Disabilities. Rachel encourages others to focus on what they can do rather than on what they cannot. As a multi-title beauty queen, Rachel wants to change people's views on pageantry from the image of brainless Barbie dolls to that of strong women striving to make a difference. Rachel and I discuss some of the different perspectives within the hashtag actuallyautistic movement. We also talk about the appropriateness of the puzzle piece symbol, the use of person-first or disability-first language, and the media's portrayal of autism. In this episode, discover what's possible when someone lifts her mask and embraces true beauty. And now, I present you, Rachel Barcelona. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to Autism Knows No Borders. Thank you for being here today. Well, I'm so happy to be here. So, Rachel, you're a woman of many talents, and you're also an inspiration to many people around you. And I'd like to start with your background. How old were you when you were diagnosed with autism? Well, I was first diagnosed when I was three years old, and at the time, people didn't really understand what autism was. I believe that it was first coming to fruition, but it was not good. 
I remember that when I was a kid, nobody wanted to play with me. They treated me like I had some weird disease. And I didn't really understand that. I knew I was different. And it was just very apparent when I was called into the principal's office with my mom and there were doctors everywhere telling us that I had autism and that I'd never accomplish anything. Mm. What was that like for you? How did that make you feel? Well, it was a lot to take in at three years old and it was horrible for my mom, but without her, I wouldn't be anywhere today because she wanted to help me as much as she could. But I always tried to rise above what people told me because ultimately we choose what we want to become. And I wanted to become something great all the time because people told me that I wouldn't be able to be a good person or accomplish anything. So I just thought, you know what? I just want to prove those doctors wrong. Do you have any brothers or sisters? I do not. But a funny story is that I would always take rocks and I would draw faces on them and I would pretend that they were my brothers and sisters. (laughs) I'm an only child too, so I completely understand what it felt like to grow up wanting to have playmates in the house. Did you receive any services after you were diagnosed? I did, and that's how I think I came to be because of the services. I still remember every Friday after school, I would go to occupational therapy, physical therapy, and stuff like that. And I believe that really, really helped me because back then, ABA wasn't even a thing. And I would just keep getting services, but I still remember that they were really expensive. And that's another thing that I really believe. Because they were so expensive, I developed this belief inside of me that therapy doesn't have to cost so much. You can do stuff with your children at home, and it can be free, or it can be a dollar, and stuff like that. It can be reading a book, going to the park. It doesn't have to be thousands. Mm -hmm. Did you do a lot of therapy at home? Oh, yeah. Tons of it. I still remember my grandma would read me books because at first I couldn't talk, but reading helped me a lot. And it didn't cost thousands of dollars. We would just get some cheap books from the library and from bookstores. And at first it was one word and then five words from the books I would read. And just that alone would improve my vocabulary. And I loved that. Mm -hmm. Do you still like to read now? I do. I actually really want to become an author. Oh, what do you want to write about? Well, I'm writing a series of urban fantasy novels, which have been very challenging, but I know I'll get there. Well, good luck to you in your book writing career. Thank you. So let's go back to your school days. How did the teachers treat you? Wow, that was something that also made me want to pursue this whole journey that I'm on because the teachers didn't really understand anything. When I was in kindergarten, my first teacher, she just was horrible. 
I still remember her calling me the R word. I guess people don't like that word. And she put me in corners of the class. It was really loud, so I would act out, but I couldn't help that. But she hated that really bad. And it got so bad that the higher ups in the school wanted to put me in the retarded class, as they called it, because it was a different time. And I was in there for one day, and I thought to myself, is this what my destiny is? Or whatever a kindergartner thinks. But my mom was livid. She wanted to put me in with the rest of the kids, and she worked hard to find a quiet class. And after I acted out again, I was sent to the quietest class they had, and I was switched to that one, which ended up being the best option for me. And it was great. It was like I was Matilda and my teacher was Miss Honey. (laughs) Did you have any friends? It was really tough to make friends because I knew I was different. It It was awful, but I tried my best. People would even make fun of me for my last name. I even I hated my last name because everyone would just be like Smith or Jones, and I was the only one with that last name. And having autism didn't even help either. So I still was in the corner when things got too loud. I hid in the bathroom because that was my specialty. But I feel like these prejudiced behaviors, kids learn from their parents. And I didn't really see that in the new class. So I had a few friends and it got better. I tried to be optimistic and I just tried to be positive, be positive. That's one of my best mottos I have today. And it just got better. Good. Was it different when you were in high school? Well, I mean, I was always bullied. It doesn't matter where you're at, but I would say it got better when I was in high school because middle school was awful, and I eventually had to be taken out of middle school and then into high school because I went from a private middle school and then to a public high school, which I thought was going to be really bad. But I found that I was accepted more for being myself in high school. So it took a while, but I found the right friends who liked me for who I was. And I just thought, wow, people really don't care that I have autism. They want to see my talent and they want to see me shine for who I am. I was in the International Thespian Honor Society. I liked being on stage and I was very happy. Was that around the time that you started participating in beauty pageants? Actually, I was in pageants ever since I was five years old because my mom wanted to see me come out of my shell. And another funny story, we had picture day in elementary school and I just liked the flash of the camera and I was like, mom, I want to be a model. And we did modeling too, (laughs) but I did pageants from five years old up until fourth grade. And then I stopped because I wanted to focus on my studies. 
And then I continued in middle school because I was going through really bad depression. And my friend said, oh, you should continue the pageants because I was really happy on stage. I just didn't want to be anywhere else. And I'm still doing them. Could you explain how pageantry has brought you out of your shell? Well, it definitely has a long history because more often than not, boys are diagnosed with autism than girls. And we're out there, but we do a little thing called masking. And people don't really know that we're there and we're suffering. Could you explain what masking is for people who may not know? Oh, okay, okay. So it's like you're putting on a happy face. You're hiding who you are, and you're trying to fit in with what people expect of you. And that was another thing that I really, really had to overcome because I don't want to be like everyone else. I mean, who wants to do that? And unfortunately, I mean, this is why I'm here, because a lot of autistic girls, they don't get that. They've been taught to put on this mask and try to fit in with neurotypical society. And that's really not what I want to do. I just want to be colorful, be me, unapologetically me. And unfortunately, this is what happened when I went to social skills groups is because I was trying to be me, but there was all boys. I had no one to relate to. And that's when I entered the pageants. I wanted a friend that was a girl. And there was all girls. So that was a big difference. Mm -hmm. And you've won a number of beauty pageants. Yes. So what does being a beauty queen mean to you? Well, they mean a lot. I was in fourth grade. It was show and tell. And I brought the trophy I won, which is really awesome. I, I love it. But still, I like to think that it's not about winning. It's about the relationships you make, the friends that you'll have forever. Because anyone can win a crown, but I mean, that means nothing if you didn't have any memories with it or friends that you made. Mm -hmm. And you were the first person with autism to compete. Which pageant was that? Yes, I was the first person with autism to compete in Miss Florida. And it was really a game changer because even now I'm still getting messages from pageant people and they're saying, oh, well, I competed in the 90s and I didn't even know I had autism. So thank you for doing this. Mm -hmm. And now you've opened doors for other people who maybe want to pursue pageantry, but might have thought that they couldn't do it because of their diagnosis. Even those who don't have autism, I feel like there's a lot of people who do want to pursue pageantry because a lot of us girls, we do want to feel beautiful and there's a deep desire to feel feminine as well. But there's such a bad image portrayed by the media and we need to get rid of that stigma. We need to show the positive side of pageantry. Yeah. And you were recently signed with MMG Models. Congratulations. 
Yay, that's amazing. I'm very proud of myself. I've been modeling for years. I didn't even think that would be a possibility for me. Because as sad as this sounds, as someone who has a disability, I just didn't think anyone would sign me. I did modeling because I loved it. And now the MMG comes along and they want diversity. So this is a really great time to be alive. Yeah. And you're only 23 years old. I am, yes. So what kind of future do you imagine for yourself? I like to go through life and just take it easy because I used to be like, okay, I have to have this and this and this and this, but I wasn't happy. I think it's so much better to take it easy because you don't know what's going to happen. Great. Anything else you want to add about beauty pageants and modeling? Well, I would say if you want it, go for it because you shouldn't let anyone else's negative opinions affect your positive opinion. That's beautiful. So, Rachel, I want to switch topics. You went on a Skill Corps volunteer trip with the Global Autism Project to ABA Centrum in the Czech Republic. What was that experience like for you? Oh, wow. That was wonderful. I've always wanted to go to the Czech Republic, and this was my opportunity. So I took it, and it was beautiful. Just so many amazing women that I worked with, and I could write an essay. (laughs) What did you learn about yourself from going on the Skill Corps trip? That I have a lot more in common with other people. I would say from other lands than I thought I did because I was a little nervous thinking, okay, I'm probably not going to have anything in common because there's a different culture, different values, but it's like, oh, we have the same. We like to cook. We like to clean. We like that because I like Slavic culture. I really like that. And when I talked about that, it's like we had a connection. I just loved going around Prague. I loved the scenery. And that was another thing. I love medieval stuff. And the scenery just made me think, wow, I feel like I'm in Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Yeah, Prague is such a beautiful city. It's really like a fairy tale with all of the old castles and the architecture there makes you feel like you're stepping back in time. Yeah, that was my favorite part. I really liked it. And I loved the shopping. I liked how many antique and vintage stores there were. That was another thing that we had in common was that I loved talking about the vintage stuff. And it was amazing. It was so great. What was it like for you being on the team with the other Skill Corps members? I think that being on the team was wonderful, and I ended up being a very valuable asset, it seems, because I got to talk about my experience being a person with autism, and I enjoyed helping the kids and the people who worked at ABA Centrum. And I enjoy the fact that I'm still in contact with a lot of those people today. 
so the, basically, the people who are customers at ABA Centrum are always messaging me. They're asking what they can do for their kids. And so that just makes me so happy. I think, wow, I must have had a great impact, even though I could only speak about 10 words of chat. <laughs> I tried to do it. I mean, before my trip, I learned a few basic words and I don't know, it's really hard, but I love the language. It is really hard. Yeah, but it sounds beautiful when they speak it. (laughs) And I was so honored that I was able to speak at the Russian Cultural Center about my story and so many people came. Oh, nice. I was really shocked to see how much people didn't know. I will never forget, we were going into our Uber and our driver was asking, oh, autism, what's that? Is that a hotel? I don't know. I mean, I want to forgive him because that was probably a language barrier. He doesn't know. But still, if that <laughs> a hotel, I mean, there was also another incident where we were at a restaurant and the waiter asked if it was a dessert. Mm. There really isn't anything. So I'm glad that I got to help. Yeah. In a lot of these countries where the understanding of autism isn't the same as in the U.S., it's not necessarily the people's fault, right? It's just the way that their culture is. And hopefully in time, there will be more of an awareness But that's how it was in the U.S. even 30 years ago. And look how far we've come now. So it's people like you and other advocates who are working to spread awareness in these places. And hopefully then people will really understand not just what it means, but will even see more autistic people out in public and sharing their stories too. It was really something. Like when I shared my story, one of the people who frequented ABA Centrum, they were from Kazakhstan and they brought the whole family, the mom, dad, and they brought their child and they brought the grandparents. So you can only imagine how they're thinking. And I just was about to cry because that just meant so much to me. Mm-hmm. I'd like to discuss the Actually Autistic movement. For our listeners who are not familiar, could you describe what it is? Okay, well, it's really difficult to define, but to put it simply, the Actually Autistic movement is a movement in the autistic community that is really, really, I wouldn't say radical, but there are radical members in it. And it's composed of people like us. And we want to be seen. We want to be respected for who we are as an autistic person. I would say I'm part of it. And I don't want to be defined by the stereotypical portrayals of autism that are very common. So I would say that actually autistic is whatever you want it to be. For example... People tell me, oh, you don't look autistic. So I would respond, no, I'm actually autistic. Mm -hmm. So we just want to be respected. We want neurotypicals to listen to what we have to say. Yeah, and it's 
interesting when we think about how labels change our perspectives about people. A neurotypical person who might not pick up on social cues well or who might make inappropriate comments might be thought of as weird or awkward. And someone with an autism diagnosis who does those things would be excused or forgiven because of their autism. What do you think about that? I still don't think that's fair because it's kind of a subtle form of segregation. I've experienced that all the time when people know I have autism and I do something weird or have a weird behavior they don't like. They say, oh, well, she has autism. That's expected. But then someone who just is acting weird, maybe they have a drug problem or something's going on at home and they don't have a disability. Oh, well, get back to work. You're behaving weird. You're stupid. Well, I do not like that. What happened to equality? I mean, think about it. What if I stole something? Oh, she's autistic. That's fine. I don't like that. It's like you're separating us into a room based on our mental state. Mm -hmm. Could you explain what some of the radicals in the actually autistic movement think? Well, I like to think positive, but sometimes you just got to address things. I have been contacted, I guess, by these radicals basically my whole career as a self-advocate. And they like to think a lot of things. I've gotten comments like, we need to build an ethno state that is comprised of only autistic people and the neurotypicals need to be, you know, taken out. Yep. <laughs> and there's other things like, oh, neurotypicals are the downfall of everything. Well, hey, what about your parents? They're neurotypical. I don't know. I just like to think about that stuff because. I mean, you can think about whatever you want, but at the end of the day, you're bullying other people, and nobody wants to get on board with a movement that has people who are mean to each other, or if they're attacking others like that, I don't know, I wouldn't do it. But I still think we need to respect each other. I think, to your point, it's further segregating the population. Yes. I think that it's also segregating the spectrum because, I mean, I'm fine. I'm part of the actually autistic movement. I'm all for us having a voice. We need to be listened to. But there's this whole thing like red instead, light it up blue, light it up gold. I think that that's only dividing us. Mm-hmm. What is the red instead? Well, people do not like Autism Speaks and the Puzzle Piece movement because a lot of us think that the puzzle is bad. And I mean, in a sense, yes, I do not want to be thought of as a puzzle that needs to be solved because I'm a person at the end of the day. But then again, I also like being mysterious. People can't figure me out. And that's beautiful. But I'm not a puzzle. I'm a person. And I mean, I'm both. I like to think both ways. I don't like to think concrete. It's not black and white. But 
Red instead are people who are deviating from the traditional lighted up blue and autism speak supporters. But that's okay. I think that we should respect people who want to do their own thing. But don't bully others if they want to do another thing. Mm-hmm. Do you respond to any of the comments they leave you? I just think it's not worth it because it only causes chaos. And I mean, you can do as many good things as you want to, and you're still going to get hate. Yeah. Some people get really offended when they're referred to as an autistic person or a person with autism. Do you have any thoughts on those different ways of describing it? Yeah, there's people who want the person first or disability first because it defines them. And I usually say person with autism because I'm a person. Like I say, I'm a person. Also, at the end of the day, does it really matter? I don't really like policing language. Who has time for that? I'd say whatever your preference is, that's perfect. Yes, get it. You should use it. But don't come after me if I say person with autism. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add about the Actually Autistic movement? Tread carefully. because. It's a movement of colorful characters. You will find your best friends, and you will also make your worst enemies. But all in all, it's a wonderful movement. We just want neurotypicals to hear our voices. Because as someone who supports the actually autistic movement, I can honestly say that as someone with autism, I am very tired of the same depictions in media. Like, for example, barely any girls with autism. Everyone seems to think that we're the same tired rain man cliche, which is a topic I always bring up. Mm -hmm. Are there any other ways that you feel misunderstood? I'd say all the time. In college, I remember when Rick and Morty was really, really popular, everyone would always call me Rick instead of Rachel. Like I said, inaccurate portrayals because, you know, Dan Harmon, the creator of Rick and Morty, has autism. And him having it was the inspiration for Rick. And so everyone found that out and they would just make Rick and Morty jokes at me. I mean, I love the show, but I'm just like, is that who I have to represent me? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, they're coming out with newer TV shows that have people with autism. Indeed. I actually have two of them that feature a lot of my friends. There's Atypical and there's Everything's Gonna Be Okay. And a lot of my friends are in it. And they've taken special care to hire actors who have autism. And that just makes me think, yes, we're going in a great, amazing new direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you feel that those newer shows are accurately representing people with autism? In a way, but sometimes I think they over-exaggerate a bit. 
I like the fact that the shows have taken special care to have people with autism writing it, and they have sensitivity writers as well, so they can make it as accurate as possible. But sometimes I watch it and I think, oh no, I wouldn't do that. But then again, the experience is different for everyone. Someone might watch Atypical and be like, ah, I did that. Also, it's important that people understand that just like everyone else, each person is their own person. And, you know, the saying, if you've met one person with autism, you've met just one person with autism. That's right. Rachel, are you receiving any support these days? Are you going to any therapy? I am always getting support. I like to support myself. Oh, (laughs) well, I have a service dog named Harvest, and he helps me with seizures. And I think the best support is my family. They help me. And I go to psychologists as well. Great. Are you finding value in seeing a psychologist? Oh, yeah, definitely. They help me with things that I otherwise couldn't tell my parents about. That's great. How about your relationships? Do you have more friends now that you're an adult? Uh, It's still hard to make friends. I will be moving to New York, and I made a lot of friends while I was there. So just moving there will help me get closer to them. And right now, because of the virus and from my location, still living in Florida, we use Zoom to communicate. And I I really love that. Yeah, it's a great way to get people together now. I feel like I'm in contact with my friends and family, maybe even more than before the coronavirus. It's also really cool because it's a big place. So If you live in Manhattan and the other person lives in Long Island, that's a great way. Mm -hmm. What are you going to be doing in New York? I have found, I hopefully have found a job. Everything has been tough because of the virus, because literally nobody's working right now. So I secured an internship for a radio host job, but nobody's working. And I don't know what's going to happen. I'm supposed to go there in September. And I want to be positive about it. But for now, I'm doing some radio jobs at home. And I'm selling makeup. And I'm writing. I mean, I'm always busy. Mm -hmm. And you're also running a Facebook page called The Ability Beyond Disabilities. I am. I have been running that page forever because my platform has been going for, God, 12 years now. And that Facebook page was started when I first joined Facebook. And my mission is to just bring a light to disabilities, what we can do instead of what we cannot do. Yeah. And it's also serving as an inspiration for people to feel that they're not alone. Yeah, that's my goal, to show people that they're not alone. I'll post a link to your Facebook page and your Instagram and your website on our show notes so listeners can follow your work. Thank you so much. Yeah. I'd like to close with one last question. 
What advice would you give to neurotypical people about how they can interact better with someone with autism? All right. Well, to be curious about autism and not judgmental, because that's another thing about the actually autistic movement, because the media we have sets up a lot of preconceived notions, and I like to speak out against that. So neurotypicals have it in their head, oh, this person's autistic, so they're dumb or they're useless. So we can teach them that, no, I mean, this person can do this, they're good at math, or they're really good at reading, so they'll be a great friend. Maybe they can help me with homework, and then maybe that will develop into a friendship. I shouldn't listen to what's on TV. So. I'd say put the TV away and look into their heart, value them for what they can do and who they are as a person, and maybe that will turn into something awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rachel. It's been a pleasure speaking with you today. You have such a big heart and you just radiate love. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Take care. You too. Thanks for tuning in to Autism Knows No Borders. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Rachel as much as I did. We'll continue to talk more about masking and the Actually Autistic movement in future episodes. As Rachel mentioned, masking, which is also known as camouflaging, stems from a desire to fit in and create connections with others. Females with autism are more likely to mask than males which can lead to missed or late diagnoses. People who are masking try to go unnoticed by mirroring social scripts, forcing facial expressions, or imitating gestures. Masking requires substantial cognitive efforts and can be extremely exhausting. Long-term effects include loneliness, anxiety, depression, self-harm, and in some cases, suicide. We need to strive for acceptance. Awareness is simply not enough. In a world where being different is feared, mocked, and bullied, we must promote the idea that being different is nothing to be ashamed of. It seems that polarization is permeating many areas of life, and the actually autistic movement is no exception. Many people are finding it increasingly difficult to exchange ideas with others who think differently from them, and some are even going a step further by engaging in abuse. Rachel's message stresses the importance of respecting people who we may disagree with. At the end of the day, we are all human beings who deserve to be seen and heard. If we truly listen to each other, we may be surprised to find that something's present for us to learn. Tune in each week for engaging conversations of how people across the globe are inspiring change and building community. Thanks for listening. Take care. You've been listening to Autism Knows No Borders, brought to you by the Global Autism Project. You can find Rachel's notes for this episode and learn more about today's guests at autismknowsnoborders.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please kindly rate the show and leave a review. By doing so, You'll be helping us increase awareness and acceptance of autism around the world.